0: Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar.
1: Hello, it's Peter Oborn on what is almost a spring day in Wiltshire.
0: Hello, it's Richard Heller. It's not a spring day in South East London, it's cold and damp. It's uh, also... I uh, should say Saturday morning, March the 5th, uh, saying that because we're very glad to be rejoined by Kobus Olivier, the CEO of the Ukraine Cricket Federation, whom we spoke to last week in besieged Kiev. But Kobus, we're
2: very glad to see you again. Uh, you're not in Kiev anymore. Where are you? hi guys good morning first of all very nice to see you again nice talking to you um, yes since we spoke last time i managed to get out of kiev i got a ride to take me and my dogs uh, to it's a it's a small little town probably the size of canterbury maybe a bit smaller uh or taunton here yeah, in the in the west um just just to the to the left side of lviv uh, it's called ivanko franciskev and uh, I'm here now with my dogs. Uh, they have, a, in a school here, they've turned it into a refugee uh, shelter. So there's uh, a, a, about five families from, uh, that came from Kharkiv. Uh, when well, you know, Kharkiv is getting bombed. So five families, children, uh, old grandmother, they all here with me. And we're in this little old building. It's more than 100 years old from the Soviet Union, three floors, and uh, it's myself and the, my dogs. And the five families here. Uh, and we've got a bomb shelter at the bottom. We share a, a kitchen and two bathrooms. So for now, we're we safe, uh, as safe as we can be in Ukraine. Very glad to hear this, Kobus. Um, how long did it take you to get there from Kiev? Yeah, it was about an 11-hour drive in the car, and we went through probably at least 20 roadblocks. About every two kilometers, they had a roadblock where they had Ukrainian soldiers, they searched the car, they look at the documents, the driver had to get out. Uh, so um, it was an absolute exhausting drive.
0: We've read reports in British media of absolutely indiscriminate um, bombing and shelling by, by the Russian invaders. What sort of evidence did you see of of, of the war in, um, and the invasion on, on
2: that journey? Well, uh, no, uh, nothing, because I came out to the west, uh, the mm. route that everybody, that's the biggest escape route now to the border. Uh, most people go to Poland, and then next to Poland, you've got the uh, this Hungarian border, Moldovia, and Slovakia. So millions of people, literally millions, are now streaming there. Uh, one of my friends from South Africa, the same driver that brought me here, is now helping him and his family out today. Uh, They left early this morning for the VIF. They've already been on the road for four hours. And he said they're hardly moving. They're sitting in this jam-packed roads leading to the west to the borders of Poland. But uh, I, yeah, uh, uh, we didn't see any shelling or anything, but you are very aware you're in, you, you're in a war zone, you know, everywhere, military presence, soldiers, roadblocks, uh, they're still building more with sandbags, they're building barriers on that road because that's the road that the Russians will come if they're going towards Lviv from Kiev and from the east and the north. So everywhere they're building uh, uh, with sandbags, they're building more barricades and that. So you understand you're in a war zone. <laughs>
0: Must ask about the dogs. A lot of listeners want to know about the dogs. How are they doing after
2: the uh, after the journey? Shame, Richard. Thank you so much. Now yeah. the dogs are uh, getting settled in here. This morning we've been here for three days. Uh, We went for our first little walk this morning. I took them two at a time uh, in pairs, and they walked around. They're getting used to their new environment, the room. I spend as much time as I can with them. And as long as we're together, when I'm with them, they're pretty calm. I play them a lot of music. I love Hauser, the cello players' music. So we're listening at night, and this morning we listen to cello, to to Hauser music, and, and that calms them down a lot and they're getting into a routine again. But thanks so much for asking, Richard. I appreciate it. Kobus, we've also got
1: here a a very great Indian journalist, Sharda Ogra, who's going to join us for the majority of the programme. And I know that she has been following the story of the Indian students uh, from India. Uh, And perhaps we we can introduce you. Sharda, this is to introduce you to Kobus, and perhaps you would like to I know you expressed an interest beforehand in talking about Indian students in in, in Ukraine.
3: Hi, Kobus. Good afternoon. I'm uh, speaking from Bangalore. It's so astonishing that you found this huge connect between the students that are there in the tens of thousands and and, and the cricket that you run. And and, uh, going by what I was told by both Peter and Richard, that they are very much part of uh, your cricket community. We are hearing various stories about them. What has been your interaction with them? Your, you know, your your cricket friends that are there. Uh, how do you think they're doing? And what's going to come of this? I mean, do you think that you will be able to return and cricket will return to Ukraine and to the incredible work you do?
2: Yeah. First of all, very, very nice to meet you. I've been to Bangalore. Uh, yeah, you're very lucky to be there. I would much rather be in Bangalore right now than sitting here. But to answer your question, yes, I've been in daily contact up to four or five times a day with Zach. Uh, He's he's on our cricket committee, and he uh, is employed by Mr. Hadip Singh, our president. And a a very short background, Mr. Hadip Singh, our president of the Ukrainian Federation, he set up this whole business in Ukraine. Uh, He came here as a young student when he was 19. He married a Ukrainian lady. They've got kids. And he set up this company, Bob Trade, and they bring in this Majority of the Indian students uh, that comes here uh, to study medicine. So Mr. Deep Singh, he, he's he's based in Kharkiv with Zach, and they've got up to fifteen thousand students here now. And I spoke to Zach just before this happened, and they started evacuating the students. And he said there were still about eight thousand Indian students left in in Kharkiv, and. Uh, Yeah, I mean, these guys are my family. We're a cricket family. I'm part of them. I've been there for every tournament. I go up to Kharkiv. I stay there. I'm a guest there at the tournament. They put me up there, look after me. So, I mean, obviously, incredibly concerned about them, you know, especially at that age to go through this. And Zach has given me daily updates. Uh, I've spoken to Mr. Singh about four times. He's been busy. Uh, you know, trying to look after the students, getting the last ones out, and they used to go down in the uh, bomb shelters. But Zach told me um, him and his family, he's got a wife and a young kid, they were stuck right next to the hostel where these students were. Uh, He said in that specific hostel that Mr. Hadip Singh built for them Right next to it, there's one of the subways, and that was their shelter, and him and his uh, family were with the Indian students. He said that whole subway was just Indian students. Um, he said they were all down there, and they spent three and a half days down there. They were allowed to go out a couple of times to quickly go to the supermarket, but then the supermarket ran completely out of food and water, so they, they, they closed the supermarket, so, you know, for... For a long part of that time down there, most of them had no—if the food that they didn't take with them or water—they were completely out of out of food and water there. Uh, and he said, "You could, yes, yeah, non-stop right through that last night. You just heard the, the 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 you know machine gun fire, explosions. He said it was absolutely horrific. And uh, you know, he said they went through hell. These poor students and." Uh, Then yesterday, uh, they evacuated. They got buses for them. um, And I I just got, he went off the air for a while. And this morning, he contacted me and he said he's back online. They on a bus, uh, the students that were left behind, they all in a convoy of buses on their way to Lviv. They just outside Lviv. And then they will cross the border into Poland. uh, And I presume from there, they will go home back back to India. But I ask him about that, about sort of the cricket future, what will happen, he said Kharkiv is gone. They blew up most of the university. It's almost been reduced to, to, to rubble. And is it also, um, they, they, after this, there will be no education market in Ukraine. You know, nobody would want to come and study in Ukraine uh, because in all probability, um, realistically, it will be under, un, under Russian, sort of call it a puppet government, but it will be controlled by Russia. And after what happened, yes, yeah, said there'd be no education market. So the reality is we probably won't get stu- Indian students coming back to Ukraine. There's probably better places then or safer places for them to go to. So as far as our cricket future is concerned, uh, you know, our senior cricketers, I'm, I'm afraid that could be very much uh, yoh, the end. I don't want to be too negative, but if I'm being realistic, uh, they those people are our cricketers, our senior cricketers. Um, The junior cricket, it's Ukrainian kids, they'll be here. But our senior cricketers will basically, you know, we won't have a pool of cricketers anymore um, if those students don't return. And they are the ones playing cricket here at the senior level, the tournaments. So realistically, I think that could be, I don't know, that for the foreseeable future, that could be very much the end of our senior cricket well, Cobus, thanks so much for coming back.
1: Do stay safe. Look after yourself and your dogs.
2: Thank you so much. Next week, I can update you on what's happening to our Indian cricketers. Hopefully, they'll all be. Back in India by then, Uh, they would have made their way from Poland, so I can give you an update on our Indian cricket players as well. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Absolute pleasure, and I love talking to you. Thanks so much, from me and my dogs. Uh, And to Shada, I just want to say, lovely meeting you, and thank you for joining me all the way from Bangalore. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and, and I will keep you informed personally, if you want to, about our cricket players, if they make their way safely back to India. Lovely meeting you, Shada. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Kobus. Thank you, Kobus. Stay safe. All the best.
2: Thank you. Goodbye, guys. Thank Goodbye, you. Goodbye, Kobus. Kobus. Stay, stay safe. well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Sharda,
1: how's the story of the, your Indian, the Indian students we are hearing about, Has that been reported in India?
3: Peter, that has been the main story in all the papers on our television. Uh, there are elections, state elections going on, but the lives of the students that are there, literally caught in this war zone. Uh, that's what's been, uh, uh, you know, absolutely foremost in what's going on. And uh, unfortunately, one of uh, the students uh, who was at Kharkiv, uh, he, he was killed. And uh, and there was, was another student a few days ago who was attacked. and uh, But he's in hospital and he's, he seems to be okay. A lot of the students are in this town called Sumi. That's the last last sort of uh, it's on the border with russia so and they are and uh, what's happening now because of social media they're sending across emails videos you know tagging people that they can to say just help us get us out of here and um, there is there is sort of a what they call an evacuation but if if they, you are evacuated from what is a troubled zone what is a war zone you're not evacuated from the border where you've basically uh, you know Uh, Risk your life to reach, which is traveling through the day or traveling on any other kind of transport or or trains or whatever it is, and there is that as well going on as to how the situation has been handled, Uh, whether the Indian government gave them the advisory to leave in time. It was apparently something like almost uh, ten days or twelve days after the US started uh, issuing their first advisories. Um, So there is it is it is a very big story at the moment. There is nothing. Uh, that is so foremost on the Indian news scenario than all the medical students that are there. People are surprised that there are so many, uh, but that's because they, they, they haven't been following the news as closely as, uh, you know, you need to, to find out what's there. These are kids from small towns in India. Uh, these are uh, kids who, who uh, didn't make those crazy grades you have to make to get into uh, co- government colleges that are uh, medical colleges and the private colleges are very expensive. Uh, the cost of an education, of a medical degree in, say, places like Ukraine and, and other countries in uh, Eastern Europe is about one-third of what it costs in a private uh, medical college in India. That's why these students choose to go.
0: Shoda, you're uh, particularly well-informed about uh, the news of the students and indeed about the um, political news in India in general. You're one of um, India's leading cricket journalists, but you also write about um, uh, many other matters. Uh, You've also um, written particularly well about the way that um, Indian politics have uh, interacted and interacted increasingly strongly with um, uh, Indian cricket, especially under the Modi government. Is the handling of the um, evacuation students and indeed the Modi government's entire attitude to Ukraine, has that become a political issue in India? Is that um, uh, the opposition parties um, exploited it against the government at all?
3: Uh, I think the evacuation at the moment is an enormous uh, uh, story because there are comparisons with what has happened under the same government. Uh, No, no, nothing uh, when they evacuated something like 4,000 students. Uh, I think when Crimea, when the Crimean crisis was on, uh, the same government, this is the BJP government, Mm -hmm. got about 4,000 students out. And what they're doing at the moment is just ramping up their supposed evacuation by having ministers, uh, four ministers flown over, videos of them taking, talk, talking to these students and saying, we are here and this is all because of the prime minister that this is happening and let's cheer for the prime minister. And, you know, it's turned into this sort of performance industry almost, or this, this, this little performance capsule, uh, which seeks to glorify the prime minister. And that is the difference between what, what it was not so long ago, literally about, say, seven years ago, and uh, what we are seeing today, it's very strange as to how it's playing out because when, when Saddam Hussein attacked Kuwait, India evacuated 175,000 people by the national carrier Air India, without fuss, at a time when the country was not a political, I mean, it was not an economic power or whatever it is. You know, so what this government doesn't want is an institutional memory of what the country was like before they came to power. Mm.
1: I mean, one of the areas, uh, Shadi, you've really written in a dazzling way about is the uh, BJP, the ruling uh, BJP party and cricket politics. And I mean, here's one um, phrase I we've plucked out of a recent article of yours. Indian cricket is being marinated in the ideology of the ruling regime. In this case, the Bharatiya Janata party, the BJP or, or this cricket is merely one of the many engines in the BJP's dream of cultural expansion. I think a lot of people in in Britain, or and cricket lovers among them, aren't quite a, as aware as we should be of what's happening in India at the moment.
3: What is going on at the moment, Peter, is that we are watching for the first time I think in the history of through the history of Indian cricket and what's happened in the past is uh, the entrance of pure politics into cricket. This is not to say that political parties have not been involved with cricket and the Board of Control for Cricket India. Of course they have been. All of them have been and the moment the money has gotten more because broadcast rights in the IPL, uh, they've all got more interesting. But at this time it has become like I've written about that uh, they want to establish literally cricket as one of their many sort of cultural tools that they're going to use. So you see the world's largest cricket stadium being built. Uh, you see the secretary of the BCCI is uh, a gentleman by the name of Jay Shah, who is the son of the number two uh, political figure in the country, uh, Amit Shah, who's the home minister and uh, you know Narendra Modi's right-hand man, the prime minister Narendra Modi's right-hand man. And you just see... Uh, that the power center, which would have been any other place, because in the power, pa- uh, which would have, could have been in Calcutta, or it could have been in Chennai, or wherever it was, it has moved to this place. Now, Jay Shah, for example, both Jay Shah and Saurav Ganguly, who is the president at the moment, uh, if you go by the new DCCI constitution, they should not even be in those positions, because their term has is lapsed. But the courts are sitting on that appeal that has gone up to say that these two gentlemen should be around, and they are continuing uh, their duties and around them what has happened is this over the last say definitely more than 5 years i would say or 7 years it's just slightly before is that there has been this little uh, uh, almost um, courtiers around indian cricket that are there in the form of commentators former players the media uh, which is not going to call out and point out these things because it's uncomfortable uh, because you have, uh, you know, because the, the stakes and the earnings from Indian cricket are so huge that you don't want to spoil your little empire that you have created around what Indian cricket is at the moment, and so on. I, and you're just going to see this in so many ways play itself out in, in, in a way that it, it's the silence of of uh, uh, of acknowledging that this is going on that is the most disturbing in my mind, and which is why I find myself getting angrier and writing about it and saying, you know, please, look at what's happening to your sport. Before you know it, it'll have turned into something else.
1: Which makes what you're saying there is so important. Uh, and it's what you're saying is that there's been a repudiation uh, on the part of Indian cricket in the wake of Mr Modi's arrival of that, that glorious multicultural vision of Nehru and Gandhi uh, 70 years ago uh, and turning into something else, which is um, centred around one uh, political party.
3: Uh, What I also would want to explain is that previously, when all political parties were involved, uh, they basically looked out for each other when it came to, uh, you know, their political interference into something. So, for example, if uh, you could have had Uh, The president could have been from one political party, the secretary could have had backing of another political party, but their political ideology did not imprint itself on on the cricket, on cricket policy, on cricket decision making, or on anything about it. It's almost like uh, their politics was not stamped, you know, the individual political ideology was not stamped on their cricketing duties. It's like they separated them virtually. And it was, I, I used to call it an all-party buffet. Anyone could come and, be, and and get the best out of Indian cricket, but your politics didn't play, uh, yeah. didn't sort of put its stamp on it.
1: And following on from that, of course, the the, the ideology of the BJP, uh, Narendra Modi's BJP, is a Hindu supremacist. I think it's a fair point. Which makes me, take us back to the recent cricket match, ODI, between India and Pakistan, where Pakistan thrashed India. And in the aftermath of that, there was a wave of uh, attacks uh, on social media and elsewhere on Mohammed Shami for bowling badly. But then Virat Kohli, who I have to say is one of my all time heroes, I think he's glorious actually, um, uh, came out and defended Shami. That was quite a brave thing to do, wasn't it, in the political context?
3: You would have to think it was, but the whole point is that previously, as a cricketer, nobody would have thought twice about standing up for your teammate. Mm. About a year uh, before this, a year, maybe 18 months, I, I'll need to get the dates right on it. Um, Wasim Jafar, uh, a former India uh, test opener, uh, he had a super partnership with Dinesh Karthik in 2007 where India won that series 1 0. This is the Jelly Bean series, if you remember, oh, yes. uh, Peter mm. and, and Richard. Um, mm. Wasim Jafar uh, was coach at uh, State Association. And the selectors had begun to interfere. And and they said that, you know, there was a, there was a bit of an argument and there was a bit of a dispute. And Wasim Jafar was uh, stepped down. And someone came out and said that he was trying to get Muslim players into the team. You know, there was some kind of statement like that. And and Wasim Jafar was very upset. He had a press conference. But there was complete silence from the Indian cricket establishment, barring just a few people, like a handful. There was no, no one, not his teammates, nobody came out and said, this is rubbish. You cannot talk about my, my my teammate like this. So that is what happened. And then you had Kohli doing this, which you would have to think that look, you're the you're the you're the most powerful cricketer, the most powerful captain India's had, and uh, of course you have to stand up for your team. And if you won't do it, uh, who's going to do it? But so it was great that that Kohli was able to uh, Kohli came out and spoke about it. But the silence around Wasim Jaffer was completely deafening.
1: Yeah, So, but I I, I just wonder, is there a connection? so I hadn't just in between the Mr. Coley's very courageous stand and by the way I do the way he captained in here was such passion I know he went over the top sometimes but the passion was glorious <laughs> I mean he was uh, I think he did, brought so much not just to Indian but to world cricket be that as it may he then to the uh, my enormous sadness actually I think the sadness of global cricket quit as captain do you think there was any connection between his decision to quit the captaincy and the uh, and that stance, very courageous, morally noble stance, he he took about one of his teammates. Uh,
3: a lot of people are sort of suggesting. I think there was an article in the Economist as well, if I'm not wrong, uh, about this that this was the connection and this is the reason why he lost the job. Uh, I find it very hard to believe or to prove that, uh, not because I am a, a sympathizer with <laughs> with <laughs> with the ruling establishment, uh, but because I think. What happened in this case is that Kohli almost he, he misunderstood the scale of his influence. And he thought he could step down from A format because he's struggling with his batting And struggling meaning he's still getting 40s and 50s, but he hasn't got 100 for more than two years. right And at one point, he's on 70 international hundreds and everyone thought he was going to overtake 10, hundred hundreds and So on. so um, I think he overestimated how influential and how powerful he was. And he stepped down from A format.
1: Which format did he step down from? Joseph? 2020.
3: Twenty twenty, he said, yeah. "I'm I, I don't want to be twenty twenty captain, but he assumed he would be. Uh, it would be okay for him to be fifty over captain and Test captain, mm. fifty over captain because India is hosting the fifty over World Cup next year. Uh, and the other point uh, that you made, Peter, very quickly about you know Kohli being this sort of energetic and so on and so you know this this, this kind of captain that you and player that you loved watching because of his energy and so on. But he kept saying, uh, we represent new India.'" We are new India. And this new India is uh, almost a slogan that comes from the government side all, all the time. That we are new India. ye naya India hai. This is new India. We will not take a backward step. We will come into your house and we will beat you. And you know this kind of macho uh, uh, sort of posturing about everything. So and that also became a part of this the team that was uh Led by Kohli and and Shastri as coach, so there is a di- there's sort of a contradiction there in, in the things. But he is fundamentally a, play, a a captain who stood behind his player, and he said, you cannot talk to my player like this. And it is, uh, and he and and he was he was very very clear in what he said. But the new India thing very much bought into the entire uh, uh, sort of uh, the government's whole image of this supposedly new developed country, which was not sissies and non-violent, People like the Nehruvians keep saying that
1: we were. So we have a a looming World Cup in India, don't we now? And I think this in the context of the uh, the last conversation you've just been having for the last five or ten minutes. And what you were saying about the new sort of effectively the new national stadium in Ahmedabad, uh, which is basically a BJP triumphal stadium. The Narendra
0: Modi Stadium.
3: Narendra Modi.
0: Yeah, we had to, we were instructed to call it the Narendra Modi Stadium. Indeed, we?
3: absolutely. yes. Mm. That stadium was built uh, on the land where, uh, we, which was Motera. I don't know if you've been to Motera, uh, which is the old, old the old ground, not a particularly senior person, but it was called the Sardar Vallabai uh, GCA Motera Stadium. Now, Sardar Vallabai Patel is a huge national figure uh, in terms of his role in the freedom movement. He was India's first home minister. Uh, and so on. And he was like the absolute icon uh, for whom they built, uh, this government built an enormous statue called the Statue of Unity in Gujarat. But they have now taken that name away Mm. from that stadium and given it in the name of the current Prime Minister, which normally doesn't happen. It's a living person. You don't do that. But they've said no, no, you see, this is the Narendra Modi Stadium in the Sardar Vallabhai Patel Sports Complex or uh, eco dome I don't know some some larger sort of name that came there and we are going to make a bit for the Olympics which is seriously I'm not joking that's what they say mm. and so uh, this is that was my little bit insight sorry no but question. I guess it's <laughs> absolutely
1: <laughs> relevant amazing because um, Patel was the kind of bureaucrat really behind Aneru wasn't he who really ran everything well and, and created in many ways uh, 1947 post 1947 India. But um, the question is, I'm raising, which I, before we I started talking to you, I hadn't even thought of, of course, that ne- next year's World Cup is going to be a celebration of Narendra Modi's vision for India, isn't it?
3: Uh, you would think so. Uh, because, the, you know, I was joking in a piece that I wrote that they're probably going to hold the semi-finals and the finals in that stadium. Mm-hmm. So what has happened is that they said, we want to make the world's biggest cricket stadium. So it's obviously bigger than Eden Gardens, which is our iconic uh, sort of ground when it comes to hosting big events. Oh, it's bigger than the MCG, and the only other stadium that's bigger than it is the stadium in North Korea. Hmm. So of course, all those ironies are lost on on the on the uh, grandees of of the government. Um, they would want that. They would want that World Cup to stand for all these things. You know, they would want that World Cup to stand for new India. They would want India to win it. Uh, but of course, there's no, there's going to be no argument about that. India has to win it, or anything else will be seen as seen as absolutely unacceptable.
1: I've been reading the articles by Arundhati Roy, which I recommend to everybody. About if you want to understand what is happening at the moment in India, Arundhati Roy, the great writer, great novelist, has warned, has said that India is in a pre-genocidal state. She's drawn attention to what is happening in Assam, in Gujarat, to the minorities, the new citizenship law, which uh, excludes Muslims. She says this is pre-genocidal, and and, uh, uh, the the Genocide Watch has said the same thing. And so the world is being invited to have a cricket tournament. uh, The number one, the World Cup, in a country where one of its leading literary figures and, of course, independent observers are warning it's entering a very dark state.
3: Uh, I mean, world sport uh, doesn't really bother itself with its sort of the political allusions that are there around it. I mean, there was a World Cup in Russia, uh, which yep. went very well. Uh, there's going to be, there are, there are Formula One races all over the world. Which yeah. say that uh,
1: indeed, in China, China, where, which has got the Uyghurs in, in camps yeah. Yeah. hosting the Olympics. I don't,
3: think, I don't think there will be any kind of a, you're just hoping and praying that cricket sort of stays away from this sort of craziness. Uh, that has beset us. And when Arundhati Roy says a pre-genocidal phase, what we've also had over the last few months have been these religious gatherings in some places where there's been an open call uh, to, to go after Muslims. Like an open call. And only because there was really non-stop protest about it did somebody, some of the speakers at those religious gatherings uh, get arrested. Now they're out on bail, And it's almost like there is this mass, uh, sort of these little events dotting up everywhere. Where the same thing is being said that India is a Hindu country and you can do whatever you want to anyone who's not a Hindu in in, in India. It is we are at a very very dangerous stage in this country, and I think that uh, hosting the World Cup is meant to is is meant to sort of add to this uh, add to this this uh, vision and this this fantasy of our glory that's being presented. Whereas what's happening is the opposite. That is not to say that uh, Indian cricket is not uh, at the moment. Uh, truly democratic and it gets people from all uh, parts of the country and attracts people of all kinds and various religions and cultures and castes and so on into itself because it's so such a successful uh, uh, model. But how, you know, do you remember the time when they kept running the IPL when there were those horrific scenes last year of the second wave of COVID? That is how disconnected Indian cricket can sometimes be. Sometimes it's part of the nationalist project, but it is not, things are not looking good outside. Oh, please don't mix politics and cricket. You know, you get into those kind of uh, discussions. And um, uh, it, it, it was just horrific what went on last year with the IPL uh, that it happened in Delhi when there were these massive uh, number of deaths that were taking place due to COVID. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was just madness. So cricket is trying to play, or, or rather uh, cricket is going on But it's trying to be uh, many things to many people. It's obvious, you know, and because it's so intertwined with politics, uh, no one who runs cricket now. Previously, it could happen. It was possible for those who ran Indian cricket to tell the government to just back off and stay away. At this point in time, it's just the government is running cricket. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm speaking sort of very, I'm overstating things, but. the past is, is no longer that past. Disconnection between the Indian state and, and Indian cricket no longer holds. Have, um,
0: remembering the past of Indian cricket, have any ex-players tried to resist this process of the takeover of uh, Indian cricket um, by the ruling party?
3: Uh, no. Uh, it, even in terms of simple things like talking about it, mm-hmm. there are very, very few people on social media that are coming out and talking about this and saying this is wrong, what happened to Shami is wrong. And it's literally like you can, I can like count them in one hand. Uh, yeah, the younger players, definitely not the, uh, An Bishan Singh Bedi, uh, God bless him. He has been unwell for, for a bit, but he's fine now. Um, but, but, well, that's the,
1: wonderful news. The, mm-hmm.
3: the establishment, Indian cricket establishment is, Supine. I don't know if the word is supine is correct, but it's that's what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, there are very few. We know who they are, and uh, it's almost like if you name them, you're inviting you know trouble on them again. So I won't take names, but we but they are very few. It's literally five or six people mm-hmm. that are able to see it, and it's not like they they're, they're saying and they get attacked on social media and they get told and they get everything, but they're still distancing it. This is wrong. You cannot do this. You have to speak for peace. You have to speak for, you know, you have to speak for everybody living together. But uh, it, it's 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 in a very, 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 very small.
0: And these people, these resistors, have suffered or would suffer, you know, would they suffer as players or later as coaches or commentators Um, for,
3: for standing up, for making a stand? Would they pay a direct penalty in that sort of way? I think they would. Uh, I have spoken to one of them, and he said, "Listen, you know what it's like." So I said, "No, you tell me what it's like." He said, "I'll tell you when we meet," but it's <laughs> we haven't been able to meet. Uh, but but you you will see it. You'll see it sort of popping up everywhere. And but but they may not get commentary assignments because they're seen as trouble. Uh, they may not uh, be. They may get IPL assignments because IPL franchises have no interest in what's happening. They just want to make sure that their team runs well. And you know, there's a new team from Gujarat, and they're getting all kinds of players. And so they may get IPL assignment. Commentary, the, the commentary stuff that they do might just go away. You, you, you never know, uh, because the BCCI owns the commentators, or rather, they they are the ones that that uh, uh, appoint commentators for matches that are for India games. They won't say anything. And and commentary contracts are extremely lucrative. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're thinking, and at one point it's but how much money do you want to earn? Don't you have enough? And then won't you be able to make more or a decent amount? A decent amount, not a crazy Indian cricket amount if you're doing something else elsewhere. But of of course it's not like
0: that. and our, um you mentioned was in Jaffa uh, a short time ago. Um is there a general danger now to all of India's Muslim cricketers from this rise of Hindu nationalism that you've described?
3: Uh, at this point I would hope not because cricketers are still, what happens is like they say you know, during the whole Black Lives Matter movement uh, it's your fame that protects you almost. It's your fame that protects you. Their fame protects them up to a point. Uh, but it didn't protect Wasim uh, Jafar because some official came out and said something uh, filthy. Uh, but your fame protects you. Muhammad Shami gave a very interesting interview uh, to the Indian Express newspaper. I don't know whether you saw it. And they have these sort of exchanges. And he said, you know, the people who troll me and who abuse me, they are not fans and they are not Indians. He came out and he said this. So you would, you would think that they will be protected in a sense because of who they are. But you don't know at what time that will just tip over. You, know, you don't know at what time mm. it will tip
1: over. Yeah, just one little, as we know from history, again and again and again, it's just one little episode which... Exactly. ...can spark some conflagration. And it's very serious. I wonder... Um, uh, is, is it stretching things too far i think it is but you've written very interestingly about the uh, asim rafiq case in britain which of course shames english cricket uh, do you see comparisons between the treatment of asim rafiq uh, well, and, and loads of other asian players in this country and what happened uh, and what and the sort of mood in india now
3: I I think uh, Peter, it's sort of maybe extrapolating it a little too much to sort of jump the parallel between what happened to Azim Rafiq and uh, with with what's happening here. There is still a certain innocence and a certain uh, charm about what uh, is believed that Indian cricket at the highest level, at the most elite level, can offer everybody who comes to it. You know, and your talent will carry you a, a long way. Uh, you're getting players from uh, more players from Kashmir, for example, playing. That's very in, helpful. Uh, yeah. The IPL, uh, because, um, uh, and, and Kashmir has gone through an absolute nightmare for the last seven, eight years. In the last two years, its statehood has been stripped of it. So you are getting uh, that as well, and you would hope that talent still can be pushed through.
1: Has a Kashmiri cricketer ever played for India?
3: Yes. Uh, Parvez Rasul, he's an off spinner, off yeah, yeah. spinner, sort of batting all rounder, uh, spinning, all, all he played uh, a couple of one day internationals he he had a decent uh, run at the IPL as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So they have played. Uh, but whether you can turn that into the Kashmiri public's uh, <laughs> belief in what the state wants to do, it's, we are very, very far from that. And it's like we retreated 20 years compared to where we had gone, say, about maybe seven, eight years ago. It's like we've gone back to 1990 again. You know, it's, it's literally that. I
0: was particularly interested to hear your comments on the Narendra Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad and the in fact, it might be the setting of the final of the World Cup. In the last series India played against England, both sides had to play a test match there in conditions where the air quality was ruled unsafe for people to go out in a matter about itself. We've heard quite a lot from other guests, and we read about it in Wisden, about the environmental threats to Indian cricket as a whole. Are these getting any attention in India, and is anybody trying to combat them?
3: Uh, the environmental issues are are absolutely not in at the top of anybody's mind uh, at the moment. We are going to have a IPL team out of Ahmedabad uh, for this season, uh, you know. So it, it's it's definitely not anything that has struck anyone as being worthy of even discussing. Never mind uh, administrators themselves. Uh, never mind. Uh, uh, Sri Lanka actually at one point a couple of years ago in Delhi, uh, they were fielding with masks on because the air quality in Delhi was so bad and, uh, you know, it became a big uh, uh, it became a big issue and then it died down again. And, but I don't, I think cricket just sees itself as a money-making machine and uh, if the, you have to make money with, when the air quality is bad, if players are willing to play, who are we to stop it? And, so the question of challenging this and for, say, maybe the English cricket management to come out and say, listen, we can't play here. We can't play in this. What would have happened? What would the consequences be? You know, what would the ECB and the BCCI have talked to each other about? There you are know, all those things. So it's it's quite a, it's, it's a minor issue, uh, which it shouldn't be because these are athletes that are playing there, but, but it is. It is.
1: I, I think we ought to end this discussion two of the great well one of the greatest players who's ever walked on this earth uh, Shane Warne uh, has died uh, and of uh, Rod Marsh who was absolutely charismatic and beautiful wicketkeeper uh, batsman for Australia when, when I was growing up I mean perhaps we should pay some tribute to them Sharder. what are they what did Shane Warne he for, for, for us he just reinvented cricket uh, what did he mean in India?
3: He was a huge figure. Uh, you know, it's I, I, I'm still in, in a bit of shock and he's younger than me. And I'm saying, you know, nothing makes sense. Uh, there was a beautiful, I must say this because it's a, I know it's a program, the normal understand what I'm saying, but I read a tweet written in Hindi today by an unknown young person uh, who said the words he used, because it's so lovely. It said, Nishabd, which means I'm speechless. Mm-hmm. Man Lagena Sarbilkur means I can't get my my se- my mind to work. I can't I can't pay attention to anything today. And and this is a young man from somewhere in North India who's telling you this that this is about Shane Wong, this is who he was. Uh, and I mean I know that uh, I'm reading all the tributes that are coming out to him, I'm seeing for Australians what he meant, what he meant for English uh, Or people because of his enormous impact in the ashes. Uh, but I'm also seeing that he is a global figure. It's almost that it's like he was a world superstar. Like all of us uh, uh, saw him there, all around the world, and he was so Australian, Australian, but he still belonged to the whole game. And what I found particularly moving about him after his post-retirement is that uh, you know people are saying he talks too much in commentary, and all, but what was fantastic about him is how he was able to literally. Interact and reach out to all the young spinners in the world. who came to him. Mm. I don't think any mm. leg spinner could uh, uh, could stop himself from going up to Shane Warner and, and, and talking to him about leg spin. Kuldeep Yadav put in uh, sent a really beautiful uh, a tribute in his in his tweet. The the, the left arm uh, orthodox uh, leggy in, in in India. He did. There's Rashid Khan. There are all these guys for whom Shane Warner was the north star, and he was accessible and available and free to share. So that was just a wonderful, generous uh, side of him. And I just want to finish with one quick story. Um, so at one point in time, I think maybe this was about in 2005, six, seven, around that time, Anil Kumble had sort of developed his googly, And Anil Kumble was always criticized for being, oh, you're not like, you know, you don't turn the ball over. whatever. And he'd and he was talking to Shanan he said look and and and, he, and he, they chatted about it and he worked and he said look Ani, uh, he said look you know people are going to know that it's like they'll be able to see it so Shane Vaughan says he said yeah but they have to play it so you still have to bowl it so just go ahead and do it you know just go for it so it was that kind of sort of generosity of spirit and of, of the knowledge that he had is just uh, is just uh, it was just wonderful and and those words in Hindi I mean hab is like I'm speechless and so I'm, I'm talking a lot but still in your hearts,
0: like you can't accept uh, what has happened. Indeed, a, um, a heartbreaking loss, as you say, to many cricket lovers around the world. And it's wonderful to hear that his he shared his magic with um, with so many people, even shared his sort of technical secrets with um, with so many people. It gives one hope that his great legacy is going to move
1: on. It's so tragic, isn't it, Richard? That mm. just I mean that I mean, the two men who reinvented. Next been Abdul Qadir and Shane Ward, both untimely ripped from us within eighteen months of each other. I'd wish
0: I'd been at that dinner party which um, Abdul gave to young Shane Ward, the one where we heard it from him, where they sat on the on the floor after the meal and just exchanged liveries at each other oh. for, for two hours. What a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful thing that would have been to to witness. Yeah.
1: Oh Jerry, me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's>,
1: <laughs> yeah. What yeah. a what an event. It's like yeah. Einstein talking to Turing or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sure, I don't know if you have any memories of Rodney Marsh. Um what's emerged from many of the tributes to him is that um, behind this image of the, you know, hard drinking and sledging aggressive Wicketkeeper. He was a very thoughtful, very empathetic and analytical man. And he, of course, had a great success as a coach and a mentor uh, after his cricket career, didn't he? Uh,
3: absolutely. He was sort of one of those 70s rock stars kind of players that I, uh, when I first started watching cricket, I read about him, saw a solid little bit of television as well. Uh, and sort of caught uh, caught Bowl. Lily was like a... Uh, <laughs> It, it was almost like an anthem, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, his his yeah, his partnership in India is also very interesting.
0: War. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marsh Bomb Lily is actually more common. Um, it's the most yeah, common 97 dismissal times. by a wiki keeper. Yes.
3: Mm. Yeah, ninety seven times or something like that. Uh, so the interesting thing about Marsh in India, I have to point out here, is that uh, he was the first de- director of the National Cricket Academy when it was set up in India about twenty years ago. Uh, it was Rod Marsh, and now uh, VVS Lakshman is uh, in charge of that academy. And 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 because India was trying to borrow from sort of Australia's style of managing uh, talent and, and and so on, they brought him here. So uh, Lilly had a part to play in the in the fast bowlers sort of uh, uh, MRF Pace Academy, and Marsh turned up and he and 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 he had a, his part to play. Uh, when the NCA was set up for the first time, so a really uh, this sort of generosity of spirit, I think, for of, for both of them. Uh, I, I, I mean, I I cannot imagine what Australian cricket is going through because it's you're thinking about this and saying, you know, Shane Warne's last uh, tweet was about uh, the passing of uh, Rod Marsh, so it's just even more uh, poignant and and, and and very sad.
1: He's getting a state funeral as is right,
3: as is, as is indeed right. Yeah.
1: It's um, been wonderful having
0: you with us. There's so much more we could have talked about that uh, I think we're going to ask you back for a, a
1: second innings if uh, if you'll accept it. For now, just from
0: me, thank you
1: so much for joining us. And from me here, from Peter O'Born in Wiltshire. Thank, it was a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Shada.
3: Thank you so much, uh, Richard and Peter. I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we are we are, what I say, cricket people. And uh, it's a day that we should all uh, sort of be grateful for and at the same time remember these two great uh, people that have left us.